Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode eight of Coffee in Contemplation with Women. In the last two episodes, we went to Russia and California, and today we're coming back to Planet Australia and heading inland to country Dolby in Queensland. Our guest today is Salt of the Earth, Linda Lee Wilkie, a quinquagenarian or a woman in her 50s, whom I met maybe 17 years ago now when she first came to the Sunshine Coast to take up a nursing position with my old company. Welcome, Linda Lee. Hey there, Sue. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. Great. Hey, um, so Linda Lee is a registered nurse, midwife, and also a tobacco treatment specialist. And she has worked in rural or remote Indigenous communities in the Northern Territory. Uh, she's just one of those nurses who just listens to even the biggest crises and says, sure, I can handle that. Uh, I met Linda Lee and her partner, Anthea, and their daughter, Lucy, before they doubled their family in size and headed west to Dolby. So today, Linda Lee and I have had a bit of a discussion beforehand, and we're going to hover over topics close to Linda Lee's heart at the moment. Uh, and given COVID-19 is in the middle of all of this, it is all pervading, and sometimes it's not realistic to stick to a plan. So we're just going to go a bit with the flow. Um, and to see where the, the conversation takes us. Is that okay, Lindley? Sure. Cool. Okay, so I think where we could start would be that given the past week has been Easter and you know, Good Friday in particular being the holiest day in the Christian calendar, I thought it would be good to mix that up with your own experience of Christianity and your earliest memories and maybe just give me some idea around, you know, your journey through um, being a Christian at, you know, um, in all the years that you've had on this planet. Okie dokie. Well, so my earliest memories of my journey with God or without God or with God, it's, I'm still struggling with that, is that I had this beautiful little Anglican church in the tiny town of Bell where I used to go to Sunday school and had my first communion. And even now, I have this little dream that if they ever sold that church, as they're doing in lots of rural, uh, rural areas, that I'd love to live in that church. But anyway, so grew up in that church then uh, we moved to Dolby when I was 12. When I was about nine, I used to go to youth group in Dolby. And when I was about 19, um, I used to go to a church here called the Brethren. And the Brethren Church had this amazing youth group where one of the main things was that you stood up and uh, committed your life to Christ. And I really, 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 really wanted to do that. Like, I really wanted to do that. But I didn't feel that I could do that because I was a lesbian or I was struggling with my sexuality and, um, you know, I just didn't feel that I was worthy. Anyway, that, so I sort of left the church there for a while, left Christianity and continued on in my life. And then as I, oh, one of the biggest memories, one of the memories I have actually of Bell is Girls Brigade, which was sort of like a scout or a, 
whatever those things are. Anyway, Girls Brigade was this place where you went and you wore this groovy little uniform and you learnt things that were really good. Um, and there was this song, and I still remember it, and it goes like this. It goes, The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And this was something that stayed with me, the wages of sin being death, and that if I was gay or um, homosexual, then I was going to die. Anyway, so um, do you, you want me to just keep going along in this vein? No, I was just thinking, yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you a question about that. So that would have been, what, in the mid-60s or early 70s? Yeah, late 60s, early <laughs> 70s. Oh, actually, the, I was 19 in 1979, so in the 70s, you know, rural town. Anyway, then as I went further in my life, I, uh, you know, tried to be heterosexual. That didn't work. And um, finally, probably only accepted my own um, sexuality probably in my late 20s. And, but in that journey along there, <clears throat> I didn't, I denied God and, uh, you know, delved in things uh, more to do with, I guess, women's uh, spirituality. And, and I came to believe that my spiritual belief was love and that I believe in love. And then as I became older, somehow or rather God got in there again and became more pervasive. And so it was, oh, well, if God is love, then I suppose I believe in God. Anyway, now I, I feel that God is around me or and, but I still try to deny God. I don't know why I do that. But um, Can I just yeah. ask, is, what is your vision of what God is? Is God outside of you or inside of you? Or? Uh, beside me. Mm -hmm. Around me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think Sorry. anything what? to do with that original, the early... Um, the Brethren Church or um, the Girls Brigade, has that caused you the confusion that you're fighting to get back to something that's particular from when you were young about Christianity or are you doing this on a new adult terms, you know, how you, where you're taking your life with Christianity? Oh, I have no idea. Mm. Hmm. No idea at all. No, but I've got a, a cute old story. So when, uh, so Anthea and I, when we met you, we had Lucy who was about two and then we decided we'd have a sibling for Lucy. And when we went to have our six-week scan to make sure that the pregnancy was intrauterine we were lying there and the sonographer told us we were going to have twins and we both started like coughing and 
you know, spluttering and <laughs> like, what? Twins, twins, twins. Anyway, then she said, I can't get a good measurement of twin B very well. Do you mind if we do a transvaginal scan? And Anthea goes, oh, no, that's all right. So she goes outside and Anthea gets her underwear off and we're back up on the bed and we're still going, oh, my God, twins. And then the sonographer says, hey, I'm glad you're both lying down. And we're sort of going, hey, why, why? And she turns the screen around and we could see these three distinct little sacks with these little peanuts going. Oh, wow. And we go, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) And uh, anyway, and the sonographer says, I better have a look, a good look around to make sure there's not another one hiding, at which stage we're almost vomiting. Bloody hell. Anyway, we ended up with these beautiful, we ended up with triplets, Jack, Violet and Grace. And when they were about a month old, we moved to my hometown of Dolby so that Lucy and Jack, Violet and Grace could get to know my mother and father and cousins and stuff like that. So I, I would never have thought that I would ever go back to Dolby Sue. and. Okay. I think once again that comes back to my old internalized homophobia. Interesting. What in what way? What do you mean? Oh well, you know, to come back to my hometown with my lesbian partner and our family. Uh, I didn't know how that would how that would all go and we've had so much magic happen here so um and so and that's when that's when i think is this magic or is this god you know like and it was interesting we bought a house um and the way life works so across the road diagonally across the road uh, were this couple, and when I was 19, I was having a, a relationship with their daughter. And when I was 19, the mother of the mother of the daughter came and told me that if her husband found out that about her daughter and I, that he would kill me, uh, which was a pretty sobering sort of uh, message. Anyway, so here we are, moved in across the road with our beautiful four children. Um, But as life is amazing, uh, Betty and I are now really good friends. I was just over there yesterday afternoon talking to her, of course, observing our COVID-19 social distancing. Uh, But anyway, all this amazing magic happened in Dolby. Uh, Things like... We decided to, we wanted to get the kids um, baptised in the church that Lucy was baptised in and we had them all booked in and then the minister at the time decided that the fact that these lesbians were uh, baptising their children, it brought up some issues for him and some of those issues were that uh, he wanted the Anglican community to be more inclusive of gay and lesbian people and he also wanted parents who were baptising their children to actually do a course so that they understood what baptism meant. Anyway, that was all well and good, except 
we'd already sent out our invitations for a certain date. And if we did the course, then we wouldn't be able to have the baptism on that day. Anyway, after numerous, uh, he, he'd come over and we'd talk about stuff. And Anthea was crying there one day and I, just, I said to him, look, Mike, God will judge me, not you. And when he heard me say that, he understood that obviously I had some sort of relationship with God. So we ended up having a beautiful baptism. Hmm. But during that time, uh, a few people, there was a lot of talk in the church and a few people actually left the church. Um, But um, people like... Sorry, because you're baptising the kids, the people left the church. Uh, well, because of the the whole, the minister trying to, you know, he did a couple of sermons about homosexuality. Um, I read the transcript, transcripts and I was just like, oh, mate, it was a nice thought of you to do this, but it was very naive. And yeah. um, anyway, we discussed that, Mike and I. Anyway, but during this time, I don't know, Anthea and I probably had three or four different members of the church community to just pull up outside and, you know, one woman came in with a dozen eggs from her chooks. Uh, Someone else had baked something for us. My old school teacher, Joy, uh, she arrived with these, she, she had sewn these little angels that you put on Christmas um, trees. Oh, yeah, yep. She arrived with those and every year on the kids' birthdays there appears in the mailbox this beautifully, she was, she's a calligraphist, this beautifully penned Lucy Jack Violet Grace inside some money for the kids' birthdays. Just amazing. Anyway. Oh, it's, but, um, it's, it's quite I a bet. community. But Dolby, Dolby's a big town too, isn't it? It's, like, it's not like it's a, a tiny village when people don't know where Yeah, it's about 12,000. 12, yeah. Hey, but, you know, back to um, the people leaving the church. So uh, I was working as clinical nurse infection control at Dolby Health Service probably for about 10 years. And uh, one day I was walking down the corridor and I saw a new pastoral care worker and I introduced myself and I said, oh, do you know anything about the five moments for hand hygiene or anything to do with infection control? And he said, no. And I said, oh, do you want to come and have a cup of tea and we can have a yak and I'll tell you all about it? And he said, yeah. So we were sitting there in the staff canteen having this cup of tea and I asked him, you know, what uh, denomination he was and he said he was I think he said he was AOG or something like that. He used to be Anglican, but he was AOG. I said, oh, um, why, 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 why aren't you Anglican anymore? And he said, oh, I had, my wife and I had a bit of an issue with the Anglican church here and so we decided to leave. And I said, oh, what happened? And he said, oh, well, there were these two lesbians trying to get their kids baptised <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I, I know. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh. And uh, I said, oh. I said, I am one of those lesbians. And he thought I just meant I'm a lesbian. And he just went, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I went, no, I'm one of those lesbians who were trying to get their kids baptised. Uh, anyway, it was the funniest thing. We had a really great conversation. And um, I don't know, it's just part of the magic that, 
has happened since we've been in Dolby. Yeah, God. But, um, oh, so, yeah, so 10 yeah, years in fraction control. That was yeah, I was going to say that you actually just made me think that um, yeah, COVID-19 and as you know, we were sort of talking about it being sort of a bit front of mind and gets in the way of trains of thought a little bit, I was thinking you were involved um, with other pandemics as well, like where I've interviewed um, a 20-something-year-old girl and it was the first pandemic she's ever experienced and you know, the repercussions we're going through. You've experienced three pandemics in relation to in your role as a nurse and as a um, manager of infection control, is that right? Mm. So they weren't, they didn't develop into pandemics. So the first one was um, bird flu. So when bird flu first uh, started to become prolific in Southeast Asia, there was the thought that it would become human to human transmission. And on the back of that, the whole world went into this pandemic preparedness. So, uh, you know, we were at that stage having meetings about at our small Dolby Health Service, you know, about where would we put the bodies and things like that. Oh, really? Um, wow. Oh, yeah. And we also went through this uh, education about personal protective equipment. Part of it was to be fit tested for N95 or P2 masks. So they're the sort of masks that keep small droplets um, out. Yeah. Anyway, that involved, you had to put a mask on and fit it and see if it fitted. And then you had to put this hood over your head and you'd spray in this saccharin solution. And if you could taste it, it meant that you didn't have a good fit. <laughs> it was just crazy. It wasn't crazy, but it... No. There's a lot more detail than I remember that actually because I had the nursing agency then and everyone was talking about what size mask they would be and that um, at the hospital jobs that they were getting fitted. But now I'm seeing people advertise that, you know, on Facebook to you know, cut up your little square fat corners of, you know, quilting fabric to make your own. It's a little bit different. I don't think I haven't heard anyone talk about getting fit for a mask. Yeah, way. so they don't do yeah they don't do fit testing anymore, but you definitely should do fit checking for anyone who's in the healthcare profession wearing N95 and P2 mm. masks, and that is you know put that mask on, make sure that it is tight, and then blow in and blow out, and if any air is coming out, fogging up your glasses, you're not protected. Oh gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing. So that was, bird flu didn't become a pandemic, which was a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. Then we had H1N1, <clears throat> so swine flu, you know, we went into, uh, we went into pandemic preparedness again with that. Fortunately, we were lucky enough that because it was an influenza, they were able to develop a vaccine quite quickly. Mm. Um, and it didn't appear to be as virulent as what uh, it was during the Spanish flu and um, et cetera. Mm, I picked then that we one had, up, the swine flu. I actually picked that up in Bali. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was pretty horrendous. Yeah, definitely felt like I yeah. had um, broken glass in my throat, you know, when I was trying to actually you know, swallow. It oh, was true. a horrible feeling, yeah. But I just yeah, stayed at yeah. home and 
yeah, I got over it. Obviously, you know, I wasn't at risk of not getting over it, but yeah, it wasn't a, a nice thing to get. Yeah. Mm. And what was the that next one? one uh, the next one was Ebola. Oh. So, yes, we went into a lot of preparedness for Ebola because it appeared that Ebola was going to start to become uh, a problem globally. Um, and that was, there was a lot of education about personal protective equipment when it came to Ebola. Wow. Actually, just really, well, <laughs> you just reminded me, that beautiful woman who I was so in love with when I was 19, um, whose mum lives across the road, she, we only caught up at her father's, when her father died, she came over and we had a yak. But anyway, she had esophageal cancer and she was on a plane coming back from Bali and she started to vomit blood. Poor bugger. Anyway, so they, this is in Brisbane at the uh, airport. And so she's there almost bleeding out while all these people are thinking she had a bowler and uh, <laughs> anyway. Oh, how horrible. Oh, my God. Oh, no, you just reminded me of that. Oh. Anyway, so this, this, uh, yeah, this pan, this is a pandemic now. This, this is the first pandemic that I've experienced in my life. And I hope I never experience another one. Are you working in the moment now? Are you working in healthcare? Yeah. Yeah. And, so I'm working six days a fortnight as a maternal and child health coordinator at our local Aboriginal medical service. Oh, okay. Yep. I'm working four, day, four days a fortnight as a clinical midwife at our local health service. And in the last two weeks uh, at our Aboriginal medical service, I have been furiously giving influenza vaccinations and counselling people about uh, the current situation in the world. The anxiety for people is palpable mm. and it's, I really, oh yeah, it's palpable. And um, the other day, <laughs> talking about how people are affected, like as a health professional, you know, I haven't even, I'm, I'm not in Italy, I'm not in Spain, I'm not in the US, I'm not in England. And so far in Australia, we aren't uh, in that predicament. But the fear is palpable and it's real. You know, I've got friends on Facebook. I've got one friend on Facebook who is a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And uh, the fact of the matter, it doesn't matter about conspiracies or how COVID-19 happened, it's here. And so we need to take these precautions. Oh. Yeah, this weekend, I know um, our town's very much doing a lockdown to try and stop people still taking the risk of travelling, you know, just to get a day a day trip out to, you know, come up to Noosa from Brisbane or um, whatnot. I mean, we know it's impacting everyone massively economically and mentally. Um, but, yeah, I suppose it's a, I, I think it's everything in our human power is just do what you've been asked to do. 
is all you can really do right now. Hmm. That is. It's yeah. all you can really do. Yeah. And that means doing nothing, which is pretty crazy. But if it's oh, yes, but I'm the ping pong champion. Oh, is that at home? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Oh, good. That's good. Because you, you're in lockdown with all the kids. Are they all there? Yep, yep, yep. Oh. Lucy, Lucy, big girl, 18-year-old, she's... Uh, Missing her boyfriend Dan, who's at Adfa, um, and but Lucy's teaching herself how to play the guitar. Violet, I just went, I just got some embroidery from Mum, and so Violet's doing some embroidery. Oh. Uh, Jack has, yeah, Jack's pulled a bike apart, and there's bike bits all over the rumpus area, and I had to buy a new trampoline and. I actually don't mind this spending time with the family. Yeah. We're playing cards and doing jigsaws. You sounded to me like when you were up at, um, on that contract up at Mossman, you were sort of preparing, knowing that you would actually have to put things in place. So um, did the ping pong table, is that a new addition? Is that something you've added or were you a ping no, pong queen no, already? No, we just pulled the ping pong table out from the corner. Oh, okay. That's good. It's good to have some fun, I think. Actually, I, was, I was listening to a meditation this morning. It was about fun and creativity, that that's what we need right now. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I was thinking we might just move on to a bit of the other end of the scale. Like, can I just ask, you became a midwife. What did you want to be when you grew up? A policewoman. Oh. Actually... You just reminded me, I was in love or infatuated, besotted with the first policewoman ever depicted on Australian television. Uh, I think the show was called Division Four. Ah, oh, yeah, I remember that. It could have been something to do with women in uniform. <laughs> Sometimes they get the thought. But yeah, I wanted to be a policewoman and I applied after grade 10 and I got in as a cadet, but mum and dad weren't too keen on me going to the academy. They said, why don't you wait, do, do grade 11 and 12 and then go in as a probationary. So I said, righto, then I'll do that. And so I finished grade 12 and applied and I didn't get in. Oh. I wasn't the... I wasn't the cream of the crop. They only took six females that year, apparently. Oh, okay. And it, yeah, yeah. So I was at squash and we were having supper and I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the acting director of nursing was there. And uh, somehow or rather we decided that I should go and be a nurse. So... Mm. So That's it wasn't a passion one. Sometimes I've, I've met so many nurses that it was like their drive um, to be that, where I've also met and spoke to Ray the other week who she wanted to be a hairdresser. You know, yeah, so. yeah. But it was just a moment of having spotted a nurse even or seeing um, one nurse in action that made her realise that that's where she, her calling was. So, Yeah, yeah. Been. No, it was just uh, something to do. Okay. And you've stuck with it yeah. ever since? Yeah. Oh, well, no, I did a few other things in between. Um, I 
used to work with intellectually handicapped mob. Uh, I managed an indoor cricket centre, a water slide, managed a squash centre. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Yeah. Then then remembered that I was an enrolled nurse and went back to nursing and, uh, yeah, and then decided to do my general because I wanted to be more employable, so I did my general. Then I went to, out to Alice Springs, was working in paediatrics, decided I wanted to go bush, uh, thought I need to do midwifery so that I know how to catch a baby. I went and did midwifery and fell in love with mid midwifery. Mm. Yeah, you can see that's you as you as the midwife. Yep, yep, yep. And totally. Yeah, and, and you've actually managed to have triplets in the meantime between you and Anthea. It was pretty amazing that <laughs> midwives got to... <laughs> were you there? Were you actually part of the catching of the babies in the, the birth with you and Anthea? Yeah, yeah. So so uh, poor old Anthea had this horrendous 20 million hour labour in Alice Springs and... Um, yeah, no, I, I, Lucy came out into my arms. Oh. And in, we had a booked Caesar with the triplets and they just kept handing over me these vernix covered babies. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. Oh, how beautiful. And that, that was on the coast you had the babies, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I do, <laughs> I do believe actually that, uh, the kids still have the teddy bears that you and Tom brought up to the hospital. Oh, well, that's good. I think those little teddy bears, they always go with a bit of love when you, um, you think about someone um, yeah. fresh and new into the world. It's nice for them to have those memories to stick by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, so being um, the life that you've had and the way you go about life, Tell me, what makes your life feel ridiculously fun? Do you, we were talking about fun and creativity before. So what makes your life feel ridiculously fun? Ridiculously fun. Now, there's a concept and a half. <laughs> um, this is what is called a pregnant Pause. Mm -hmm. I could tap dance here for you. I don't know about ridiculously fun, but uh, my happy place, my happy place is the Condamine River, a brown river mm. with this rock face backdrop and me with a fishing line in the water. That's where I feel, I don't know. Happiest. Yeah, mm. peaceful. Yeah. It's the simple things, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, how about we go with this one? We're going to finish up in a minute. Um, but yeah. But have you thought about what piece of advice you would give 10-year-old you that you wish you'd been given by your own mum? Well, you know, I actually think my mum gave me the best advice she could give me, but it wasn't in the form of advice. When she was telling me about her life, like mum was a beautiful woman. She, you know, 
raised six children. Um, she's still alive and she was a dairy farmer's wife. She used to ice cakes to supplement the income. Um, and she never actually gave me any advice. She told me that she was the first young woman in her district, her rural farming district, to wear long pants. Ah. And although I didn't know it at the time, uh, I think that that has been to do, to, to have the strength to be uniquely your own person and do what you feel is right. Um, I think, I think I learned of my beautiful mother um, in, probably instilled that in me without her knowing. Mm, a role model in a way. Mm. Mm, that's lovely. Mm. Hey, um, do you have a favourite quote? <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, I don't. But I tell you what, if you want, yeah. I could yeah. sing an affirmation for you um, okay. and it's an affirmation affirmation that I've sung for myself at times I've sung it with people who are dying I've sung it with oh just lots of people oh, that would so, be yeah do that that'd be lovely are you ready yep I'm ready I'm gonna to have to stand up oh okay to get the right voice on okay Pretend there's drums in the background. I am a tower of strength within and without. I am a tower of strength within. I am a tower of strength within and without. I am a tower of strength within. I let all burdens fall from my shoulders. All anxieties drop from my mind. All burdens fall from my shoulders. All anxieties drop from my mind. All fears slip away, slip away. All fears slip from my heart. I let all fears slip away, slip away. All fears slip from my heart. I let Every shackle be loosened. Every shackle be loose. I let every shackle be loosened. Every shackle be loose. That's beautiful. That's what I like to think. I am a tower of strength. So whenever I am faced with any sort of adversity, that's my mantra. I am a tower of strength within and without, Sue. Wow. That's sort of reasonably quite a perfect message to, to finish up on, isn't it? With um, everyone probably feeling the, the need to maybe have an affirmation like that right now, I think, um, to be their own tower of strength. Isn't it beautiful you share that with palliative clients? And, oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, you've got a beautiful voice as well. Oh, wow, thank you, Susan. <laughs>
Hey, it's been lovely as usual talking with you. Um, and we'd usually also just ask you, what's your favorite song? Do you have a favorite song? But I mean, you've got a, your voice is beautiful. I imagine you've got a massive list of songs that you love. Hey, there's another song. Mm. Um, oh, uh, one of my favourite songs is uh, Halo, um, Beyonce. Oh, okay. I love Halo. Yeah. But I do. I love. I love lots of songs. Hmm. I didn't lots think that was music. the type of question I'd asked you, and just know you'd have one that you'd just be going, "Oh, I like this one." I'm yeah. No. Favorite. No. No. I haven't really got a favourite song. No. But that, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for singing that affirmation. It was so sweet to finish with. Mm. I love Marsha Hines as well. Oh, yeah, she's fabulous, isn't she? Your love still brings me to my knees. We might go and have to go and have a listen to all those. I do love that Beyonce song, though, Halo. It's lovely. Yeah, that's one. got to be one of my funeral songs. Oh, okay, that's right. Yes, yeah, so we've got to remember our funeral songs, don't we? I've asked Mum what she'd like at a funeral. Well, she wants Take Me Home, Country Road by John Denver. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that's, good. that's a good little song to get taken back to a place where she belongs. <laughs> hey, um, we will finish up because we are um, running to the typical time that we, we do the podcast for. Uh, I really just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today. And I think people will get a mix of the, the messages you've got there um, that probably cuts across their own lives that you know, you've experienced a lot. Um, you've questioned your... Um, your spirituality, you've explored it, you've found love. Um, you are still always trying to find your way back to what you um, are wanting to know at your core. Um, you've raised an absolutely lovely family. Um, you've gone back to your roots in your country. And, yeah, you just keep on giving. So, yeah, thank you so much, Linda Lee. I really um, loved having a chat with you. Hmm. Nice talking to you too. Okay. Well, love to you and... Um, See you next time you're back over this way or we'll come over your way when we're allowed to travel outside yeah. of town. <laughs> 2021. Yes, yeah, 2020 has changed. It wasn't quite the plan, but there might be a reason. We might have all been needing to pause, I think. So. Hey, I would have invited you to my 60th, oh. but that's this year. <laughs> Maybe you're going to have to 61st. I do recall your presence at my 50th. <laughs> that was quite a party. <laughs> <laughs> I might share a, a couple of pictures from that on um, when I post this up on Facebook, our memories of the 50th. That's the last party we had together. So, Okay. Okay. Love to you. You too. Bye.